Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This is Spoke, the all-new and exclusive podcast series with me, Chidera, a.k.a. The Slum Flower. And me, Sully Breaks, poet, writer, spoken word, artist, etc., etc. Where we discuss issues at the heart of youth culture and how music and literature are shaping the conversation. With knife crime in the UK at an all-time high, music is often singled out among the complex social factors that add up to crime in inner cities. Genres such as grime and heavy metal have taken the blame in the past and more recently, many drill artists have come under fire with their videos being pulled from mainstream sites and even being forced onto Pornhub. In the same way film and literature come under heavy scrutiny for their portrayals of sex and violence, books such as Clockwork Orange and American Psycho have been criticised in the past for their graphic scenes with the argument that they incentivise the public to commit similar crimes. But does art reflect your environment or shape it? like violent films or video games? Can people distinguish fact from fantasy or do they let it influence their behaviour? And what are young people doing to challenge these misconceptions? In this episode, we discuss sex, violence and the obscene in art. Cool, 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 cool. What's good, Chidi? There's a lot happening. There's a lot, lot, There's lot, lot happening. happening. I feel like we're going to have quite different perspectives because obviously I'm a woman. How and is that obviously after all the discussions know, we've been having? How is it going to be obvious that your your opinion is going to differ because you're a woman? <laughs> well, the thing is, when you're a woman and you are in media, sometimes, or in fact, most of the time, you are some sort of product. And so, when it comes to things like sex and violence, a lot of the time there are you know lazy plot scenes where um, a woman is being assaulted, for example, and that isn't really cool. Um, but also, it's about essentially recognising that art in itself, as much as it is about having a conversation and being able to express and reflect the times, it can sometimes still perpetuate misogyny in a way. Well, that's my experience anyway as a woman. I can totally understand that. But in, in that same way where we're talking about other people and their responsibility, don't you inherently as well feel that you have an assumed responsibility because even as an ambassador or as an activist, in mm. a way, you're constantly, your book is out, you're constantly creating art yourself. Mm-hmm. And within that art, is there not some kind of identity that you want to champion or some kind of yeah. message that you feel like may get misconstrued or manipulated if you don't convey it properly? Yeah, I'm really protective and quite calculated and careful because I recognise that my role is one that's quite important to some people. I'm a pillar of strength and I want to make sure that I am not just living authentically, but also allowing people to see that even their faves make mistakes. And 
the most important thing is how your fave recovers from that mistake. But most importantly, what they do to acknowledge it and change the way that they act moving forward. I can, I can, I can, I can relate to that. I mm-hmm. think that's very important. And with that, we'd want to introduce our two two amazing guests that we have here, two extremely talented young gentlemen. Now, what's important, I want you guys to introduce yourself, but we have a policy here. We don't have time for humbleness. Do you understand Honestly, what I'm saying? We don't have time for that. Big so, yourself up. So tell us exactly yeah. who you are, what you do, <laughs> and why they're going to remember you when you die. Do you understand what I'm saying? Don't come, don't come and give us no, no I'm pressure. No pressure. Go in deep, Lord. Cool, man. So do you want to no, you go it? first. You go oh, first. Right. Go on. Go, go on, Maverick. Uh, <laughs> that was quite a little deep <laughs> intro there now. I'm feeling the pressure already. Uh, my name is Maverick Sabre. I'm a singer-songwriter. Um, I'm 28. And, um, yeah, I've had... I'm I'm just starting to release music for my third album. Um, I've been touring the world, releasing music for the last 10 years, Jeez. 11 years of my life. Um, and that is about it. Thank you. This man's got a catalogue. Don't, don't let him humble you, though. This guy's got a catalogue. This guy's got a legacy. There so sick. Like, we were, I was just fan, fangirling. Like, before... <laughs> I love how you said fangirling. <laughs> no, because that's what... <laughs> no. I was literally fangirling him before, before we went live. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm Femi Oyaniran. I'm an actor. I'm a filmmaker. I have... Um, I started out when I was 17 in a film called Kidhood. I did all the hoods after that, apart from Brotherhood. And um, I've since um, gone on to make film and TV. I produced a TV series called Venus vs. Mars for Sky Living. And I did Droppers for ITV2. I have also written, produced, acted, been the creative force alongside with my writing partner, Nikki, on a film called It's A Lot. Um, we made The Intent, which we made independently and distributed independently and is now on Netflix. And now we are on the sort of like coming to the end of the promo run of um, the sequel, the the prequel, The Intent 2. The prequel. Even I need to get used to the Because it comes after the first movie. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, The Prequel, The Intent 2, which which has been well received and is violent. (laughs) (laughs) Just get that out of the way, man. Nice little intro there. (laughs) Okay, let's let's talk about that because we're all artists here. We're all creating some capacity. So the first real question really is, before we address how we personally create our art and what we Mm -hmm. think, have you guys ever specifically been influenced by art? Because I'm talking, when I was young, and I go to school, like, you know what I mean? I was a hip-hop fan. Mm-hmm. And I knew that, say if there was a day where I knew that I was I was like, I might get into altercation with someone, like, I might need to fight someone. I'd listen to Mob Deep, you know what I mean? And I'm listening to that in my ears, like, I'm going <laughs> all out. You, you know what I mean? Big guns, sharp knives, yeah. revolvers, jam at the wrong times. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. real, so let's let's talk about art first as a subject. Like, you guys in general, before we talk about what we create, have you mm-hmm. ever been, remember a time in your life when art really influenced you and who you was as a person? Yeah, I think for me, I was a big hip-hop fan growing up from like a lot of UK and Irish hip-hop and a lot of American stuff. Um, and I think a lot of the stuff for me and the friends around me, what we were influenced off, especially on the US stuff, was like early, mid-90s. Yeah. And I did feel at the time, early, mid-90s had a lot of extremes, but had a lot of balance in hip-hop. Mm. You know what I mean? You could get your educational, revolutionary um, information from a, a, a public enemy listening or you yeah. could listen to a Tribe Called Quest or Most Def to get a feel. Or you could get your, you know, more more gangster elements or your more smooth stuff from an LL Cool J or your, yeah. you know, your history lesson sometimes from a Tupac Shakur. I was a big Tupac Shakur 100, fan. yeah. So, like, the, the, what you're saying there, like, the, the idea of, 
you know, being young and being influenced by art, for me, it was influenced on various different levels. It was the same. You go in to get a scrap, you know, you're going to get into a scrap <laughs> this morning. That DMX, you know, I'm going to bang a bit of DMX and run down the road. You know what I mean? But at the same time, when I'm walking home and I need something, you know, to comfort me or whatever's going on in my head, I'd listen to, like, the sagas at Kalashnikov or yeah, Skinny that, Man Counter. Yeah, let's talk mind. about that. You know yeah, I mean? real so talk. it was like a balance, yeah. which I, I think maybe as we grow up, maybe we look down on a generation and feel like, do they have the right, the same balance that maybe we had, and maybe they do, and maybe we're just judging just, uh, them too heavy. To it, yeah, hundred. You know, so. I, I completely agree. I mean, I remember, like, I remember, like, you know, initially, like, I suppose my cultural references for for the West begins with, like, late nineties because I moved to England in ninety seven, mm-hmm. and before that. Like, you know, my consumption of culture and art was quite limited, I'd say. Born was, in Nigeria, I was born right? in Nigeria and I Jeez. lived in Nigeria for 10 years. And like, you know, yeah. like I watched Disney films. I listened to Nigerian records and like I listened to King Sonny Adey. I oh, listened and, and then what you listen to from the West when you what well, back then. Now it's changed because of the Internet. But back then, what you listen to, the Western stuff you listen to were the super commercial things. So, like, I knew about Michael Jackson. Yeah. I knew about, like, you know, the stuff that really cut through. So, like, as, like, you know, my big Western references, like, really be- began in 97. So if it's not Disney or pop, <laughs> I can't even talk to you about anything, really, unless you want to talk about Nigerian music or Nigerian mm, culture. Yeah. And so... um. So for me, like, you know, I remember moving to England and I like late night, like late nineties rap was really gangster rap, really. That was what was yeah. dominating the scene. And so, but I wasn't really immediately into rap. I was like, I was into everything. I liked Robbie Williams when I was young. Like yeah, when I yeah, first come to England, I thought Robbie Williams Angels. was so sick. Like, I, thought, I thought Robbie Williams was so amazing. Like, I, like he just had the tunes, man. He did, like, he had the bangers. You can't dispute like, yeah, that. He was like, he had, he had Proper bangers, yeah, I was, and I was yeah. into all of this stuff. Then you go to school, like you go to like you, and but my brethren were all into like Drew Hill and stuff like that. And then Ooh, you go geez. to school, and like you, 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 you. The minute you go to secondary school, like everyone's being hard now. And also on top of it, my cousin, my older cousin, who now like works at like the biggest investment bank in the world. I don't even need to say the name. Mm. Like and has done for like the past ten or fifteen years. He was into rap heavy. And so he showed me about downloading songs. So I used to illegally download music. Like, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll that LimeWire. No one's got No, no, I was before LimeWire. I was Napstar. 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 Oh, okay, 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 okay. okay. Take it back. I was Napstar because my cousin had, like, my cousin had, um, he was, um, he was doing microelectronic engineering, which is computers, which is basically yeah. computers and, like, yeah. building apps. Now, oh, that's what you'd call it. But he was doing that back in, like, the late 90s, early noughties. So, like, he got me into, like, rap. And now he doesn't even listen to rap. He listens to gospel all the time. <laughs> so I just think it's an age thing, you know? Yeah. Like, a lot of it is down to an age thing. Because, like, you know, when you were talking about Tribe Called Quest and all of that stuff, I didn't get into it till late. Mm-hmm. I, at least I banged Tribe Called Quest, like, in the past sort of, like, four, five, well, seven years. Because, like, I remember when my older son was born, and I, I was, and he's seven now. And I remember, like, that was the point I really fully got into Tribe. Like, I wasn't really into them. I like DMX. I like Snoop Dogg. I like all the rude boys. And I was into grime. I was into yeah. So Solid. I was into, like, 
I because I grew up on an estate and I wanted to be a rude boy. Yeah, you wanted to relate. And to you had to be a rude yeah. boy to survive. Like 100. I like all the bad boys. You had to join bad gang. Yeah, no, I'd be honest. I didn't join bad gang, but but you had I, to. I you had, had to understand. You had to be hard. You had to yeah. be a bad man because you were walking from Safeway with your mum's money. <laughs> and you don't look like a rude boy. Carrying like, bread. Might get robbed. Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's like back in the day, people used to get robbed for their mobile phone. I saw a kid Casually. get robbed for his box meal from chicken shop <laughs> at the bus stop. When yeah. I was coming home from school. So, like, that was the era that I was growing up in. And, like, and because of that, that influenced my mentality and influenced what I was into. And as you get older, you open up your mind a little bit. And education opens up your mind, going to uni and stuff like that. And, like, different experiences. Like, mm-hmm. seeing the world beyond your estate and beyond your limited group of friends mm-hmm. opens up your mind to the type of music you listen to. Mm-hmm. But if I tell you the truth, like, even though I was going to church every Sunday with my mum, I was banging out DMX every <laughs> Like, non-stop. <laughs> Damien, boy. Yeah, you know. Yeah, Conflicted. <laughs> they, they, DMX has got a tune, yeah, where he talks about, like, he could be, like, he, I can't even remember what it's called, but he's, like, talking about how he can move to you. He's like, I could be the delivery boy hiding outside your house. Oh, he's I could in be different the, scenarios. Yeah, yeah, he's, yeah, he's yeah, got yeah, all these yeah, different yeah, scenarios. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about how he can move <laughs> to yeah, you. Yeah. He's like, here we go again. <laughs> like, you know, like, come, like you, I was like, this yeah. is so hard. Yeah. And I don't know, like, now, I've never been really, I had loads of fights in school, maybe that's why. But, like, I've since <laughs> I've grown up, I've never really been a violent person, yeah. like, in real life. But, like, I was really attracted to that as a as a young man growing up. Because mm. I think he emulated the reality that you was familiar with all the time that we were trying to, like, assimilate towards. Mm. You know what I'm mm. saying? Let's, let's, let's talk about you guys' items and, and what do you have for us today, Maverick? For me, um, it was the song, and especially because I've just been reading a lot about the history of NWA more. I was oh. always an NWA fan, but... Um, you seen Straight Outta Compton? I have seen Straight Outta Compton, yeah. And it was... Uh, the song Fuck the Police and the reaction towards that which I felt was quite like uh, you know an interesting point at the time even down to I think it was like 1989 when they went to perform it in Detroit oh okay yeah yeah <clears throat> and they end up pulling the speakers out of the system um, 18 people in the crowd ended up getting arrested because you know they you know had a reaction to that yeah and then NWA themselves ended up getting arrested later that night at the at the uh, hotel that they were staying in and I thought that brings up quite an interesting because I think, you know, there's a big topic of discussion now at the moment is like freedom of speech. Yeah. And, you know, what? where do we cross the line of inciting mm-hmm. hatred or inciting violence? Mm. But then who is drawing that line? Yeah, that's a good that's point. Who's drawing that line? It's like, you, you know, what they were speaking about was their reality in that sense, you know? So who suddenly draws the line and says, well, this is actually inciting, inciting violence, but what about the violence that's been incited on them to have that opinion mm-hmm. in the first place? That's talk, preach, talk now. And I think just... Now is a very, I think there's a very poignant time where we need to be very careful of who we are allowing to draw the censorship line, you know. Mm. It's true because the person who gets to draw the line is the person who holds the power. It's like how, did you know that there are certain laws in place that um, allow you to protest within a certain... um, within a certain set of parameters so it's like if you want to protest outside of a shop certain amount of metres you can stand near the shop to protest (laughs) so it's like it's almost like ironic how the person who you're protesting against is telling you yeah you're allowed to be angry just like not too much it's so weird how it works. I've always found that interesting as well. Like when they'll be like, okay, this is a planned, scheduled protest. You know what I mean? This is the yeah. one we've approved of. Like, yeah, is that, like is that, is protest. That, is that protest, is that protest <laughs> that it's approved? It's like, like they have this thing. Um, I'm not sure how recently they kind of put this into, into, into place. 
if they still if they still do it. But um, I was seeing something the other day about during the Gulf War. Yeah. So whatever years that was, it was like the end of the seventies to the mid eighties. History guy. Um, that on radio, I think on the BBC, there was a list of like sixty songs that they could not play, oh. and it was everything from. John Legend imagined to anything with arms or war in the title. Wow. And it was like, you think, all right, so you're already censoring people from even thinking about, yeah. I think that's really important. And that's where, for me, in my work, I'm sort of like, no, you can't tell me what to do. I can make Mm. what I like. Like, mm-hmm. because like, then ultimately, the minute you start restricting what people can't and can't make or what people can't and can't talk about, Mm. like, literally, like, Mm. you know, I'm like, well, the only reason, like, what the only reason I was able to relate to DMX and all of those people because I fought in my small head, and and the olders were the people that I grew up around. Some of the older guys on the estates, they were up to no good. They were up to all of these yeah. things. So in a way, if someone made a song about that reality, mm. I, I straight away, I'm like, I know that. I'm familiar yeah. with that, and and. Is that art to be censored? So then we start yeah. arguing about actually whose story des- deserves to be told. Yeah. So yeah. like, if people exist in a in a sort of working class environment, which is which is more precarious and that is more likely to lead to violence, is their story not allowed to be told just mm. because of that? Or does it have or, to be filtered? Does it always is it only middle class people that are allowed to tell those stories, story, yeah. or is it is it like and all of these things it. it it makes me uncomfortable when people start questioning me and my work because it's like, actually, why do you get to decide? Why do you have the power? Yeah, right. mm-hmm. I'm curious for me, like, because obviously you're directing, you're directing and telling these stories that threaten that power. Mm. But the interesting thing, which I found in my own career as well, is that you reach a point where the only people you can work with or the only people that you can actually um, communicate with to get your work on that platform Mm. are the people who have the power that you're having to actually resist. Mm. And so the question is, like, how do you manage to maintain Mm. the true root of the story you're trying to tell without someone being like, well, you can't really say that. Or someone feeling, you know, someone like meeting your your story or your truth with friction. And like, are there times where you have to sort of creatively compromise in order to get your true route across? Do you get what I'm trying to I say? I feel like loads of people do. I just don't at the moment. I'm very fortunate because I, I'll tell you the truth. Like with the intent two, we're very fortunate because we made the intent one. No one wanted to put it out. So we put it out ourselves and made loads of money from doing that. And because it was commercially successful and because we sold it to Netflix for the world because of all of that when we came around to doing the intent too no one could tell me what to put in the script mm. yeah, yeah. they couldn't and they tried really no that? because they've tried they've tried i mean like we got a long email from a, like we did cut scenes out oh but, really but because we had to there was a scene that we Why? cut out there's there's actually a scene because what i was that i was no it's not in the film i was oh. uncomfortable with it Why? Well, i mean what, okay, what, you give me what a, scene a was, i could tell you what it was i could okay. tell you what it was okay, so what, there's there's if you've seen the intent there's a scene where there's two characters, Daniel and Leon, played by Crepton Conan, intent two, not the yes, first intent. Yeah. And they go into the main character's house and oh, they, when, the they attack his pregnant. pregnant girlfriend, but they don't know she's pregnant. She's not yeah. heavily pregnant. Mm. And um, and there's a scene, actually, There's a that scene builds up to a crescendo and there's a point where one of them's kicking in the brother's head. Yeah. But we've used sound to create that illusion. Because it's, really it's down, it's facing, yeah, the camera's facing so up. So the camera's yeah, facing yeah, yeah. the guy kicking. And so um, it's kind of quite Tarantino, actually, the way we've done it, but whatever. Mm. And then um, there's a bit where one of them hits her in the stomach 
Oh. And she falls onto the bed. Yeah. <clears throat> but then, actually, I felt it was a bit over the top because I couldn't watch it. Yeah. And so there came. If you're to, feeling... So if I can't watch <laughs> yeah. it, <laughs> yeah. if I can't watch it, <laughs> why can't anyone else yeah. watch it? And that was the bit I was saying to everyone: like, there's violence in this film, and there's guys going into fit into places and sticking up people, and like you know, shooting guns and stuff. But in my head, that is not even really violent because it's almost like it's weird because they're like they're just shooting these people, they're mm. doing hits or whatever. But then there's this character that I've, I've grown with and I know in the film. And I kind of like I've developed a bond with this character, and they're they're you know committing an act of violence on her person, mm-hmm. yeah. like you know they're actually causing her to like was suggesting that they're causing mm-hmm. her to lose this child in this yeah. way, yeah. and I just couldn't go with it. And they yeah. like one of the dish, they were all saying it's too violent, it's too. I'm, yeah. I'm like, yeah, it's an action film. Yeah, it yeah, is, yeah, it is yeah. gonna have guns in it. It's gonna have James Bond. If James Bond does it with no guns, yeah, yeah. That won't be James Bond. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah. If there's a James Bond where Bond does not use a gun, that's not Bond. And that's mm-hmm. generations yeah. of violence. Yeah, yeah exactly. that's, that's been going on for so years. Or a woman it, love interest sidekick. Yeah. But I'm making yeah. an action film, so therefore there's going to be guns. Otherwise, I can't call it an action film. It's a mm. drama with people talking. <laughs> like, you know, one of those ones. Yeah. But, like, you know, when we shot that scene, like, I didn't really think nothing of it because, again, it's done safely. We've got a stunt yeah. coordinator. And then you're cutting it and you're watching all the different edits. And then we got a note about it and then, like, everyone was saying, like, you know, PR companies don't want to work on it because, like, it's too violent. And in my head, I'm like, the film's not violent. What are you mm. sort of talking about? It's not mm. even... It's just an action film. All action films have, like, yeah. guns yeah, in yeah. it. And then, I, and then yeah. I was, like, watching it and I was like, you know what? Maybe I should. Maybe we should take out that scene. Mm. Oh, I see. I guess there's a sense of responsibility that came out. Yeah, and, and that was... But there's loads of things, other situations where people were like, where's your line? Because you should have cut out a bunch of other scenes then if you're cutting that out. But actually, I've, I'd always felt uncomfortable watching that scene throughout the edit process. Mm. And then that's your line then. That yeah, that was like, you know what, I can't even be part that's, of that. That's interesting. I want to get onto your item, but just while we're on this subject of violence and interpretation of violence, do you feel mm-hmm. like depending on the community he's coming from, mm-hmm. there's going to be inherently more kind of scepticism towards, like say if I say Maverick, for instance, we're going to mm-hmm. get onto your item, Femi, but say if I say Maverick, because you make music that is kind of inherently influenced by Caribbean culture, mm-hmm. do you feel like because you make that sort of music inherently people People make assumptions about the music and what its impact is when you when you when you perform it or when you make the music because your music comes from a community that already stigmatized and mm-hmm. people already see it a certain way. Do you mm-hmm. feel like inherently people are gonna say no, it, it's it's aggressive music or it's sexualized music? Oh, and or immediately attach that. From attached you. because that's where all that censorship I comes think, from. Yeah, and I think I think naturally it does. I think naturally certain people only have one specific story about a culture or an art. And I think they carry that through their judgment any time that they hear about that yeah. being brought up. So, yeah, I would think that yeah. some people do. Yeah, because I think it's interesting. I wouldn't necessarily say your music, but I was saying the sound of it. You get what I'm yeah, saying? So yeah. I didn't want to say music, because mm-hmm. your music's your experience, but the sound and the influence, yeah. Well, it's like I grew up in a small town in Ireland. Um, I was always back and forth to London, but, you know, Irish hip-hop was quite a very small scene at the yeah. time. And uh, only until quite recently... You know, are there more young rappers coming from more small towns? It's becoming that bit of an easier thing, you know. But you would get the common phrases of like, oh, what, are you just going to rap about, you know, 
having yeah, sex with women or shooting gongs. You're not a gangster. What can you be a rapper for? Like that perception immediately is the foundation Listen. of the stereotype of the culture as it is already. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, but you would hope that over time, as that changes and more people start to do it, that that like one story of that breaks down and people actually start to see diversify their a, opinion. A, 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 yeah, a diverse opinion of it all. Let's get into your item, Femmes. Femmy, sorry. Mm. What, what did you bring for us today? Why, where did I go into Femmes? I don't so know. I could be Femmes. I know, I feel like that's only, like only in the WhatsApp group, though. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's the professional. But you guys got a WhatsApp group? <laughs> nah, it's just, it's just me the trying chat. to get his attention. Oh. <laughs> us chatting. <laughs> but yeah, um, I brought I brought um this book called Open Mic um, oh. by um Ewan Spencer. How do you say that name? Ewan. 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 Yeah. So <laughs> open mic volume two, and I remember I was reading a seat. I was reading it. What well, I'm doing a. Uh, I'm writing a script about Iron Apple at the moment, and like so, I'm just like watching everything. Based in Iron Apple or about Iron Apple? No, about you know some kids going on holiday to Iron Apple yeah. back in two thousand and three, oh, yeah. and so um and so um I was reading it and then um this book and it's got a chapter with Dizzy Rascal, and Dizzy's talking about the fact that he got to a point. In, in his career, where he didn't want to go to all those raves anymore, where he just felt like, you know, I, he felt like he couldn't be in those places anymore because there was always violence attached to it and mm. there was always... To go to a rave back in the day when we were younger, Real. it's like you knew something might pop off. Mm-hmm. I've never been to a grime rave in my life because as a child, like you're saying, it was, it, no, I've never been. It wasn't <laughs> safe. Like, the idea of people going to grime raves now baffles me because I was like, right, you're trying to get stabbed. Like, do you understand? Because this was me going from my house in Wood Green to Stratford Rex and I knew that was going to be on top. So yeah. I'd only go there for like Ghana Independence Day. But, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I, wasn't try- I wasn't trying to go there to sit in, you know what I'm saying? So I can mm. totally relate to what you're saying. Yeah, and so he, he spoke about the fact that he just had to move on. Like, you know, he had to move on from like, he couldn't be around that scene anymore. And so he decided to turn his back on the scene at a time where the scene was still quite live. Mm-hmm. You know, like the scene was still Yeah, them happening. times was mad, The yeah. raves were still happening, but he just had his first, like, you know, his first album come out. Yeah. And he just had to basically turn his back on that because in order to get to the next level in his career, he had to turn his back on that whole scene and the violence that was associated with it, which, true or not. And so, like, you know, it got me thinking, like, you know, about... about I think about drill in the same way as I think about grime. But apart from drill, is a bit extreme. It's, right? it's, 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 it's predicated bit, it's, on the idea it's, it's of the extreme. Yeah, it's, it's just yeah. a bit weird. <laughs> Maybe like, because we're old, isn't Because it? rap, yeah. no, rap has never done that. <laughs> rap has never done... <laughs> I stabbed someone yesterday, I'm going to rap about it today and, and make fun the of score. their friends. Yeah. And I'm going to keep, no, no. keep the score. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad. And I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. 
Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Rappers <laughs> never... Rappers really... Rappers always been like, oh, rappers talking about things that may be real. Maybe about resistance. Storytelling. Like, yeah. But like, no, but... These kids are really talking about two nil to us on a tune. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was extreme to me. And so for me, like, you know, as much as I'm like, you know, you shouldn't demonize them, I think when it gets to that level, it's just like, where where does the line stop? Do you know what I mean? Because then it becomes um public safety. It's a policy issue. It's yeah. a like, you know, it's a it's a it's a politicians, police, the state then gets involved because you're talking about killing people yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and in real life because they were in the papers yesterday and you're rapping and so that for me made me uncomfortable but like at the same time I feel like we need to be careful with that <clears throat> again because these kids are creating something new right mm-hmm. and it's like something fresh apart from that level of it that I don't understand like there are drill rappers that don't do that mm. yeah. mm-hmm. and but they're being tarnished with the same brush they are like, you know, just like when Grime started. I remember being into Grime yeah, and Grime. no one liked it. Yeah, Everyone else, times, it? no one liked it. Everyone <laughs> now, none goes of the girls like Grime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Grime's this. And Grime yeah. was getting slated as much. Yeah, yeah. Right. Grime was in the papers. Probably the first time Wiley made made the papers was because like <laughs> yeah. a Grime rave got locked off. Like it was getting destroyed. But everyone pretends like that never happened. Trust now. me, you couldn't listen to Grime with a girl where she'd just be like, I don't like yeah. that. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? It's like, like why I you listen to this? Times, and yeah. the, all the girls would stand to the side at the raves yeah, when they started when playing think, Grime. Yeah. There was all of that, basically, that, that for me, I just feel like, who, like you said, like, we've touched on it. Who decides? Censorship. Censorship. Yeah. Mm. Apart from it saying explicit on the CD, yeah. and my film saying it's a 15, so under 15, you shouldn't watch okay. it. Yeah. Who then draws the line? Because if the BBFC have watched my film and classified it as a 15, that means anyone above the age of 15 you should think it's okay. Yeah. And so when people are saying, oh, yeah, your film's violent, it's kind of irrelevant because the BBFC would ban it if it was too violent. Mm. So then do the BBFC and the music industry, do they have a power to make moral decisions? And also does the responsibility lie in their hands or in the hands of the artists? Because they ultimately are the ones that are pushing that on their platforms. Exactly, yeah. So it's a a tricky debate. Question, Maverick. Mm. So you get a young artist in the studio with you and he comes on a track his first he's like 2 nil, 3 nil, man down on up block yesterday yeah. last night no I'm just no 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 this is what the truth no, yeah, is yeah, yeah. 3 nil yeah. on the up block yeah. 4 door you know what I'm saying skirt 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 and he comes yeah. in and he yeah. comes and that's his verse on your track yeah. isn't it and yeah. you obviously he's expressing his opinion mm-hmm. you knowing the, the context and the implications of what he's saying mm-hmm. what's your position there now I mean like I, is I, that like what, I think what? for me if it's if it's down to my own tune then it's about you know what I represent in my own tune and what I want to be represented with as well so that would be a separate discussion if it's what he wants to say in his own tunes that's down to him so you would tell him to take that off your track yeah 100 fair enough because you feel because you feel like it doesn't reflect you or you feel like it's damaging to other people 
I think, well, both mm. for me, both. Because a part of what I, for me, what I put out through my music, it was I always tried to stay true to a message that's in my heart of music that's inspired me. And I want to put that out through my music. So for me, that's never been a message that I felt I wanted to, to you know, promote in my music. So I wouldn't want anyone to come in and, you know, express that through that, through, through, through my art form, if that makes sense, through my expression in that sense, you know what I mean? So, so what's your most controversial or problematic track you felt like when dealing with your audience? What is the track that you've released that's got the most backlash? And you, have you ever had that thought that, you know what, maybe I should have approached it better? Because even as a poet writer, I've said certain things in the past and I'll be like, you know what? I should have worded that better. It was my fault. Do you have you ever had that moment in your? There was a there was a song when I was about eighteen um, called Sometimes, and at the end of the song, yeah, at the knows. end of the second verse, there was um, I hate the history, I hate the Union Jack, I'll never speak for any man or any flag. That was the last lyric, right? And that was a lyric that got brought up on one side. That show was on that like, channel, you and everything. Yeah, it was on. Yeah, it was on everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, not that I would ever change it. I never wanted to change it. I'm go back on it. I don't regret it. I love it because that's what I wanted to say at that time. Um, but that was the one that gets brought up the most because it's divided people's opinions. So I'd be at shows and even depending on where I'd be, if I'm back in Ireland, that lyric goes, 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 goes goes off. Um, but that was the one that divided people's opinions, but I quite liked it because it meant people, I had people from, you know, ex British army officers that would come to gigs Mm. and come up to me and be like, you know, I I find that really offensive, that lyric. And And would you apologize? No, 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 no way. I would never apologize. I'd I'd, I'd sit down and I'd say, do you know what? You're taking it. You're taking it in one way. Let me explain what I mean by that because you're taking it as I'm attacking you as a person. Yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm attacking what the flag represents. Oh. And from my knowledge of what the flag has always represented through history. So that's where my opinion's coming from. And even to bring up that discussion, I quite liked it because I always felt that we attach ourselves to too many things and we take things like they're a personal attack on us, specifically flags. You know, mm. representation of what the Union Jack has been over the years isn't an for? attack necessarily on the everyday walking man and woman of this country. It's an attack on the policies and the government and, you know, colonialism and, and the institutions in this country that have done that for years. So it's like to bring that discussion up, for me, was the whole point of it. Yeah. Some people would take it as like, up the ran, you know what I mean? Yeah. Down, <laughs> down with the Brits and all that. And like, that's another discussion. Like, no, 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 let's delve into that don't have that down with the Brits discussion because it's not everyone you know you can't on one side fight for your people as a struggle but then forget someone else's struggle on on the same thing so that for me was the one that you stood out the most and I think that when that came up I think they took that line out on radio as well oh wow wow it's a lot I think think wait do you know I I feel like I have one one last question yeah and it's is there a piece of art that has made you feel vulnerable because we were talking about you know um how art has influenced our decisions and how it you know changes conversations but what about Mm. like how a piece of art has made you feel gentle or soft or just do you know what i mean just Mm. not amped the opposite of amps just feeling like oh Mm. wow it's a deep one really randomly just because it's the first thing that came into my head um there was a biggie lyric on uh ready to die I can't remember what tune it was on, but he says, uh, my mother's got cancer in her breast, 
No wonder I'm motherfucking, motherfucking stressed. stressed. Yeah, things done change. And, and my 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 mother at that time when I really got into that record was going through a similar experience. So for me, it was like through all the bravado, mm-hmm. that little one lyric, yeah, put me in a place where I was like, all right, he didn't delve too much into it, but, but it gave me a it. feeling of like, wait, this is someone from a yeah, diff- you're, not, you're alive. not even alive anymore, but you've your message is carried through mm. to a small fella in a in a little town in, in New Ross in County Wexford and because I'm going through something similar that one lyric was all I needed to hear yeah you know? what about you family I can't even think in um, cinema film art I mean I like slow jams like you know yeah, we love a slow jam you know, like, of course man. you know what do you know what let's be real you know like yeah. like Keith Sweat yeah no no not like Keith Sweat <laughs> genuine you know, you know, I'm <laughs> feeling Daniel Caesar right oh, now. Yeah. oh yeah, 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 yeah that cold. makes me feel soft <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That makes me feel like, but like you know, I'm I'm, I'm making it into jokes, but no, genuinely, but like on a genuine, on a genuine, le- on a genuine level, like you know, I suppose like you know, there's been like there's that album, there's days where I don't feel amped. So we were in Jamaica, we were doing a premiere. There were so many things going on. I like, but whenever I got back to my hotel room, I just wanted to listen to Danny Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Just man. because, like, you know, you, I just needed a different energy within that space, and also, like, you know, some of the lyrics on 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 his on his latest records, mm. like, it's, it's mad. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, how did you even think of Very that? Very emotionally advanced. Yeah, you know, how did you even think of like, you know, to express love and stuff like that in that way and relationship yeah. and. And like break up and like just mm-hmm. just the 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 full emotion emotional spectrum that you go through in love and so I kind of I really dig that I dig mm-hmm. that record that's my record one of my records at the moment yeah, and so because of that I would say that but I can't think of anything else like film wise as a film made me cry do you know what film made me cry years ago oh my <laughs> gosh I've just just come to me do you know Crash. Yeah. yeah, is that the LA film mm. where there's a lot film, like, there's different stories, five different yeah, yeah, stories? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. ludicrous, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, so there's a scene. Yeah. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I it, I think I cried. I was by myself. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even have children at this point. There's a scene where the Mexican or Puerto Rican guy, um, he gives his daughter a chain or something, and there's an Iranian guy that goes to his house. He's angry with him because his um, jewellery shop gets robbed and he thinks it's because the Puerto Rican guy or the Mexican guy, I can't remember where he's from, um, basically didn't fix his lock properly and set him up to get robbed. And mm-hmm. he takes his gun and he goes to shoot the guy's daughter and, like, you think his daughter's been shot, but she's not been shot. And the daughter thinks it's because her dad gave oh, her the chain. Oh, OK, I remember what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah, I, I think about. that was, like, one of the first few scenes in anything, like... That's the only scene in a film as an adult that has made me cry. You look like you're tearing up now. Yeah, yeah. I feel like. But the thing is, not it properly. Like I was so into that film, like because everyone had been talking crash, 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 and I was like, oh yeah, let me just put. There was a Saturday like I I used to live by myself at the time and I was bored, so I thought, you know what, let me watch this crash thing, put on the DVD, and I'm watching it. But I was so in. And, like, that was one of the stories that I was able to identify with because here was this guy that was working hard, like, you know, he's got, like, you know, he's raising his daughter mm-hmm. and he's got all of this stuff and, like, you know, someone almost takes her life. And I was just, I'd, I, I had a tear in my eye, man. Oh, it's been such a wonderful conversation. Thank you both so much. Thank, Thank you, you guys. I really, Thank really you. appreciate the fact that we've gone from discussing drill to, like, talking about crying and gentleness. And I think it's just really, <laughs> no, it's really important that... 
you get to express that layer of yourself because both of you are really, really incredible creators. And as much as there is vulnerability in your work, it's really, really wonderful to be able to see you express your own kind of vulnerability. And this this pro, this um, podcast is all about learning from each other and making sure that we're all on the same ground, that like no one is smarter than anybody in this room. And so I want to wrap up by asking everyone to say what they've learned today. So I'll start with you. Have you learned anything today? Why are you doing this? Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, do you know what? I'll I give you learned, time. I have learned. Let me think. No, I, I'm, I'm, I'm a slow thinker, but I'm very precise thinker. Do you want me to ask Maverick why you're calculating? Yeah. Okay, Maverick. Um, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's been a wicked discussion. I think, like, learning it's kind of learning on a point that I already like think a lot about and it's about like the last question more so than anything and about being vulnerable and I think even discussing topics like this everyone's got you know various range of 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 opinions on it but we all have to be vulnerable to give them opinions in the first place Mm -hmm. so I think that's something that's needed right now more than ever so it's just nice to be in a room with people who are vulnerable enough to speak their mind you know what I mean yeah I've learned from Femi um that it like if your gut is telling you that something doesn't feel right listen to it because like you were saying and there was a scene that you felt like you had to remove because like if you couldn't watch it then how would you be able to expect other people to take it and I think that's a really really important responsibility that you placed on yourself and you did the right thing in that situation because something was telling you this isn't right and you followed that and that's definitely taught me that if I have a gut feeling that's telling me that this doesn't feel right I am in control and I'm in charge of my art and I decide and it's really important that I honour that feeling so thank you for sharing that because I've learnt that thank you what about you silly I think it kind of expanded on an understanding of concepts in terms of a mixture between something of what Maverick said and kind of what um, Femi said as well. So when we were talking about the concept of violence, I I, I suddenly realised that we categorise terms based on our, our limited understanding of it. Like if we hear violence, we stick, we, we conceptualise it depending on who, where it's coming from. Mm-hmm. So when, when he's addressed like intent, uh, it kind of spurred what Ma- from Maverick was talking about how people in Ireland only saw rap as, oh, you uh, can talk about guns, you can talk about girls. And when he, when Femi then sprung um, sprung off that talk about the intent and he talked about how it's an action movie, I realised in my head, I've never once thought of it like that. I just, I just mm. thought, right, it's a road movie, it's a Mandem movie. Do you understand know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's I, a Mandem movie. But then, but, when, but then when you break, no, because there's one scene yeah. where um, where it gets, um, comes out and he just sprays the Uzi, you know what I mean? And I was like, right, is he, is he Rambo? But it's an action movie, so <laughs> so why can't he do that? Do you know what I'm saying? It's not, do you know what I'm saying? So I, I, yeah, I, I, I really understand how we yeah. stigmatise things based on like the, our perceptions of it like or where we think they're coming ideas, from, yeah. what communities bring delivering it to us. But at the same time, you have to diversify your thinking in, in these, mm. in the, you know, in these um, areas. Word. Femi, well, have you been um, able to so, so it's back to me. Um, I think, I think the main thing that I've taken, my main takeaway is who decides, who has power to censor stuff. Mm-hmm. And I feel like maybe I don't have the answer for that yet from this discussion. Maybe I don't, I think that that is the discussion, mm-hmm. actually. That the true discussion is who decides what is violent. Like yeah. who decides what is too violent. Yeah. Like, do you get what I'm saying? Are, are we to leave that to the artist to have the responsibility? Like in the case of the drill artist to decide what they say? Mm. Yeah. Are we to, when when does freedom of speech go too far? And who mm. decides when freedom of speech has gone yeah, too far? Right. And, you know, you talk about, N, like when you were talking about NWA and like, and you're talking about, you know, 
that song and the fact that actually that was too violent for the time but like actually there was violence of the state going on yeah. against these guys and people within their community at yeah. the time so it's so, one perception of it being an incitement of violence but it's another another yeah, perception of it being like like a response no this is and, a response you know, a to the violence against yeah. my person like you know and 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 that's for me i feel like i think violence of the state who manages that mm Mm. And you know, because the state can be violent, right? That's true. The, the state can be violent. Inherently to, is. Yeah, and the state is violent. So who who then censors them? Like how can yeah, how can how can a system that is built on violence then try to police people that are responding to the violence with violence? But I think that's, that's, that's and then exactly and then blame and then blame young kids for oh we you're, like, yeah, you're inciting the violence. Yeah. But what about the violence? Well, these young clear, kids yeah. are seeing that yeah. you act out every night on the news. Yeah. You know what I mean? Your <laughs> reaction is the country. I mean, like even like you know like if we think about if we think about violence in a broader term, like you know child. Poverty is violence mm-hmm. against poverty people. in itself is like violence. you know that's yeah. violence you know like you know like when you really think I went to school I was saying this the other day I went to school with boys that would go around the playground asking for money to buy lunch that's real that for me and I only thought about this the other day actually that's when they talk about child poverty and like children but I never thought any of the people that I knew growing up were poor but they were poor because like they like you know they didn't have money for lunch if your parents can't give you lunch money you're poor Mm-hmm. And I'm not slighting the parents. I'm saying no, like, no, until it's a reality, we're yeah. able to eradicate that. That's a violent of the violence of the state. Mm. And like, I'm not even gonna get onto the police because we'll be here all night. But like, <laughs> you know, there's subtle things like that. That you know, for me, like, who manages that? Who brings the state to question for the violence that they effect on the citizens? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh man, you've left us with something yes. to think about. Boy. This could go on forever. Oh, Thank you so much. Thank friend. you guys, man. Thank really, really, really appreciate it, man. Thank you guys lit. very much.